This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This episode of The Secret Library podcast is brought to you by The Secret Right Away, a writing retreat that will be held this October in Portland. I am teaching this retreat with Tasha Harrison and Kate Newberg, who you will remember from both the NaNoWriMo episode of the show and the show Tasha was on to talk about sex scenes and Kate was on to talk about covers. We're teaming up to run a retreat together where we can all write together in real life in one of the coolest hotels I've ever stayed in, the Kennedy School in Portland, Oregon. If you'd like to be on the notification list to be the first to get access to the early birds special, um, you can go and visit secretrightaway.com. That's secretrightaway.com. Now let's get on with the show. This is episode 98. My guest this week is Elaine Castillo. She was born in the San Francisco Bay Area and is a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley. America is Not the Heart is her first novel. I was delighted to have Elaine on to talk about a really bold choice she made in her book, which was to start it out in the second person. So the entire first chapter is directed at you, the reader. And then when we move into chapter two, it goes back to third person. And I really wanted to get into that conversation right away because I think the idea of point of view really does change a book, whether you write it in the first person and someone is telling you the story from an I perspective or in third where it's a little bit more removed. It really changes the book, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot working on my own novel, and so I was really eager to get into this conversation with Elaine. But as you can see, we went further afield than just point of view and explored many aspects of her incredible book, um, which is out now. So let's go with Elaine Castillo. Hey, Elaine. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So... I'm very excited to talk about your novel, America is Not the Heart, that is out. And I have probably a really nerdy question to start out with. Um, no one will be shocked by this listening. but um, This is music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really interested in, because I don't want to say stuff that's going to spoil the book. This is always a, a challenge when I'm interviewing people and I want them to go read the book. But you started the very, very beginning of the book in second person, and as if the reader was pause. Am I saying mm. her, her name right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So as if the reader was pause, who is one of the main characters you follow throughout the rest of the book? And I was fascinated by this choice because I kept thinking about it as I was continuing to read the book, because then as soon as you start sort of the second part, you're in third person and you're following different characters as you go. But pause, for those of you listening, and you can obviously explain this better than me, is a different kind of, she's had a different class 
background, different upbringing, and how she came into the situation where the book begins is really different than the other people who are related, um, their family members. And I thought it was a fascinating choice to start to kind of really explicitly have the reader identify with Paz, which maybe they they wouldn't necessarily if you just started in third person. So I'm wondering if you can say more about that choice, and then maybe we can talk about the book as a whole. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, in, in, in one basic way is that the that prologue, Paz's prologue, that was the first part of the book that I ever wrote. That was Those were the first words of the book that were written. And I think for a while I thought, I would try to sustain Paz's voice, or I would, or I would write from Ronnie's voice. But I, 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 either way, it just didn't work out. I couldn't write Paz for any longer, so it just it, it became the prologue, and and the second person came, just came out of that. Why? I mean, I think both Paz and Rosalind are. They, Rosalind is another character in the book for people who who haven't read it yet. Um, they they're both chapters that are written in the second person as opposed to the rest of the novel, which is written in the third person. And they're both kind of voices out of, I think voices out of both time. They're both, those are both chapters that play, I think with, with the past a little bit more in ways that the third person, the kind of more conventional third person narrative doesn't get at. I I, I think, I mean, I, I, what you said about the immediacy of Paz's narrative, I think, strikes some... I don't. I think that's something I hadn't even really realized or, or something that I'd only done intuitively, which is that I think both Paz and Rosalind, in terms of class, in terms of background or characters that are were really sort of deeply close to me in ways that both... I, I had an intimacy with those characters, but at the same time that kind of intimacy or immediacy made it difficult for me to continue writing in that voice, which is why ultimately I ended up writing from Hero's voice, even though for the longest time I had just serious misgivings about writing about uh, from the perspective of someone who had essentially the kind of class privilege that Hero had. And I think you probably feel that in the kind of third person voice that I use for Hero. There's a kind of distance. And frankly, I, I would say like even suspicion that I had for the longest time uh, about writing from the perspective of someone like her, but it allowed me a kind of freedom to move. So I think there, I think there's something there, just in terms of craft, just in terms of writing about how intimacy can bring immediacy, but how distance itself can bring a kind of freedom. That the, that these are sort of modes that you can play with as a writer that ultimately end up allowing you to get into the story in the ways that you need to get into it. And I think that's that's ultimately how it worked out for me. That if, if I could have written from Pasa's perspective or Ron, Ronnie's perspective or Rosalind's perspective for a, a longer time, I, I definitely would have because I feel like I, I have, in a kind of autobiographical or uh, historical way, have a stronger grasp on characters like those, but it just didn't work out that way. But craft allows you to do things that you don't think you can do. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I think for those who haven't read the book, I mean, so that we don't sound like we're having an inside conversation, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the book itself. And I'm really interested in how the idea came to you and and just how the book began. Maybe we can start from there. Well, the the book really began. I think I, I first started the writing the book, which is I first started writing essentially the prologue, passes chapter in I think summer of 2013 but prior to that I'd written I think something like a 600 page novel that I ultimately threw away to the I mean to the happiness of everyone in the universe (laughs) 
which I mean, really, but it was that 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 was kind of like a Greek myth fan fiction, and I I'm I'm a big Greek Greek myth nerd and classicist nerd, and you know, it was the period of my life where I was like, I'm going to be the next Anne Carson. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a classicist. I'm going to write uh, my version of autobiography of Red, and but it didn't work out. I mean, 600 page novels don't. Let's see. I went off piste a little bit. So then I had to abandon that book, which is sometimes I I, I, I was talking to someone about this recently. That the, sometimes you just have to write a book out of you. You have to write that book, put it away in order to be able to write, you know, the book that's actually going to be your first book or the book that you can actually sort of stand up next to, which ultimately ended up become, becoming this one. So it was summer 2013 after I had given up on that uh, first book that I'd been hanging on to for way too long. I started writing slowly the prologue and the prologue came out very quickly. And after that, um, I started, as I said, I started tr trying to write the, the entire book from either Pasta's perspective or Ronnie's perspective. Ronnie's a young um, girl in the novel and just ultimately couldn't. And it took, it took a while to find the voice of the novel. And uh, actually, the, the, because there are multiple characters in the novel, all of those characters originally had already been floating around in my head as sort of stories that I thought eventually I would get to. So Hero existed in my sort of brain and in my notes. Her name wasn't Hero at the time. I just knew that I was going to write about someone who had been a former member of the NPA and who was living in exile and with Rosalind and Jaime, two other characters who are based out of the Bay. I knew I was, there was a story that I thought I was going to write about exes, about you know a young queer woman with an ex. And I, you know this is the, the point in your life where you're like, well, I I've got a bunch of stories in the pocket and then you realize, oh no, it's just one. <laughs> like you, then the minute that Hero kind of stepped into the house in Milpitas, I thought, okay, I know Hero, the kind of world opened up. You know, I, I had been trying to write from Ronnie's perspective and the words were completely dead on the page, but the minute Hero entered the house, I thought, okay, Hero is Ronnie's cousin. Hero and Rosalind know, or will meet each other. All of those kind of worlds connected and opened up. And then I realized all of those stories were interconnected. So that was really the genesis of the book. That's fascinating. I mean, I think that's so amazing when you think you have these things that are unconnected. And it's a fascinating thing, I think. One of the greatest parts about writing, maybe, is that there's part of it that you obviously work very hard on and that you put the pages together. You write those pages. I mean, you wrote those 600 pages for the first one and then continued on to this one. But at the same time, there's something, I don't know, at least for me, that feels like it exists out there and you're kind of sure. listening to it. And then it sort of tells you where it needs to go. Did it feel that way when they all started to come together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think writing definitely feel it, you, you can you, you feel as a writer that you're at that vector of, you know, sometimes painstaking sort of like lace work type labor. And then a complete intuition, complete mystery, completely sort of being possessed in a way by um, the idea, the path of an idea, strings of sort of narratives coming together. So for sure, I, I think a lot of the writing uh, of the book, especially the structure, kind of the, the, how, how the actual narrative was going to unfold, what was going to happen to people, that came quite intuitively and then you know then you actually have to then you actually have to put bodies in space and then 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 the lace work starts the kind of fine knitting of things that's interesting because those pieces felt very alive to me in the book um because i think if we lay this out a little bit it's it's sort of a story i mean of course there is 
Paz's husband, Paul, who's Hero's uncle. And he's sort of a man that's in the center of it, but he almost feels sort of like a very charming, but like, a, I don't know, he's like the center point, but all of the women are the ones that are really mm. kind of active and making things happen and moving the yeah. story forward as, as much as affection as I have for Paul. Um, Hashtag patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, Guys at the center of things, women doing all the work. Yeah, ex- exactly. So it's interesting to hear you say that it was so hard to put bodies in space because there is so much about the body in the book. Mm. Like a hero has a disability um, where she was injured. And then her niece, Ronnie, has, you know, this incredible eczema where she's always being taken to these faith healers who are trying to help her. And there's a lot that's sort of overtly physical, even beyond this sort of you know, emotional realizations and the the way those become physical as characters. So I found that really convincing and seemed really natural to me. So it's interesting to hear your experience of writing it. I mean, I think, I think, I think actually, I think you're right that I actually, it does come, that comes really naturally to me. I I, I think it's not that it's uh, difficult for me. If anything, it's just that that's more sort of textured labor to, to, to put the, the, uh, the attention that's required to put kind of textured living texture in, in in writing I actually think that that's actually I mean, I mean I'm really happy to hear you say that because that's actually some of my favorite stuff to write just sort of the realities the kind of lived material realities of people with each other I mean I'm I always say I'm like I am not an abstract person I'm very concrete tell me like move like t- tell me what it feels like really so I think that that kind of just very kind of what's the word atomized or granular sense of a life that those are the things that I'm really interested in. And, and even when I, as a reader, because I think as an, any writer is really a, a, a reader, first and foremost, those are the kind of books that really sort of come alive to me. Absolutely. So, so this book isn't 600 pages, but it isn't a short novel. And I'm wondering, so you started in, it's a nice meaty book. It has like nice, satisfying heft to it. And so you started in 2013. So what was the process like, you know, writing through it, having set a 600 page book aside, and then looking forward at this other story, knowing all these characters that were floating around were actually supposed to be together? How did the process unfold? Well, the first draft of the book was about a thousand pages. <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, and so thank God it's not a thousand pages. Not that I have anything against a thousand pages. I actually, I really like long books, but this book did not have to be a long book, which is what I realized actually through the editing process, which I really love as well. That I, I think I'm the type of writer, I don't think all writers are like this, but I think I'm the type of writer who writes the world, who needs to write the world first, which ultimately means generating just a lot of text. It means writing background stories for characters that you then take out. It means writing long, 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 doing loads of historical research that ultimately you realize doesn't need to be there because the reader doesn't need to know that. It means sort of writing all kinds of set pieces that ultimately, okay, you know, they happened, but they don't need to be in the book. And then I think it's the editing process. After you've written the world, it's the editing process that to me feels like, okay, that now you're revealing the book. You have to find the book in that world. And I think that's ultimately what I had to do. And that's how I got it to, uh, yeah, something like 400 pages, which is, in, I mean, it's madness to me considering how long, how long it started off at. I was really afraid. <laughs> Did it break your heart to cut any sections out? Like, oh, I love this bit and it's so hard to let it go. 
No, no. And any any bits that I couldn't cut, I just didn't cut. I mean, you know, I, I think I think my editors both were surprised at how ruthless I think the word was used. I was with the cutting because I don't think they necessarily thought that I was going to cut that much, and I was pretty adamant about the things I needed to cut in order to make the book function. I mean, in order to make the book feel like the book, it you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm conscious of the parts. Personally, I'm conscious of the parts that I feel like, oh, they're they're there because they're whatever. I, I personally think they're beautifully written, but is that something that serves the reader, or am I, you know, am, am I doing work for the reader that if I if I were in the reader's position, I wouldn't need, mm. or, you know, I mean, but but you know, if if I'm attached to a chapter, like for example, Rosalind's chapter, it came up possibly to cut Rosalind's chapter, and I was I was categorical about Rosalind's chapter remaining in the book, right? So. I think you can be be ruthless, but also protective. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is fascinating to get into the world because also there are aspects of this world, it sounds like that you were familiar with, but others that you had to discover, like Hero, who felt really foreign and like somebody who was harder to relate to. What, sure. what kind of world building process did you undergo? Like if you can get really as specific as, as you're willing to about what that process looked like? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, the, the kernel of hero started just because I, uh, I had had a, like growing up my, my, my father and some of my older um, half siblings had talked about a cousin of ours who was in the NPA and who they had hid at some point and who, I mean, very different from here. I think this cousin was actually a kind of higher up in the NPA. And I knew that I never wanted to write about someone who was in a position of importance. I always just wanted to write about someone kind of a loser, <laughs> just barely <laughs> sort of, just barely someone who doesn't, not that doesn't make that much impact, but I, I think I just, I'm not, no pun intended, but I'm not hugely interested in writing about heroes. Um, and I just wanted to write someone. I always say, that, sometimes I say about this book that this this book is kind of like a fan fiction of a much more sort of interesting and conventional thriller in which sort of some someone like Teresa, like Teresa would be the kind of main character. It would be like lots of action, sort of a political historical thriller about the NPA or whatever. And then I always think that this book is just sort of what happens when all of that action is over and, you know, the, the kind of loser side character doctor is suddenly the person you're focusing on and people just have to live. And because those are always the narratives that I think that, that, that capture me. So I, wonder, I don't know if other writers are like, I actually find it easier, I think, to write about a character that I, I I have more trouble relating to, or 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 in terms of autobiographical background that I have very little in common with, because someone like, for example, Ronnie, for example, I mean, we share a lot of autobiographical details. I grew up in the same town. I know the texture of the life, like Ronnie or Rosalind's, much more than heroes. So, you know, I didn't have to do as much kind of, you know, what we would say historical or geographical research the way I had to do with hero, which I did. I did. You know, I read the books. I read, I, I read uh, as much sort of historical sort of research that I could get my hands on, and you know, all all the stuff that you know, any writer has to do. You have to you have to do your your reading. Or I watched old films. I, I I kind of sort of, in a way, I sort of just collated some mixture of research with kind of in. I, I hate to say the word again, but intuitive kind of feeling out of okay, well if. 
if I thought there were films that Hira would have seen or music that she would have listened to or, you know, certain, the, the texture that would have created her life, then I would take a look at those things in order to kind of try to build mm, that universe in a way. But uh, I, I think that distance did help me in order, uh, did help me to write the, to, to get into the world. Yeah, because I, I think there is both kind of a, I don't want to say there's, there's a lack of sentimentality in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but there's also a certain amount of affection I can feel for her in her sort of yeah. awkward situation where she's been sort of an exile for several years. She reappears, she's moving into this family. She's not entirely welcome. She doesn't know entirely how she fits. And she has a certain amount of um, protectiveness that comes up for her niece, Ronnie, mm. who they have the same name, which I love, but they have such different um, versions of this name, which is Hieronima, right? Right. That's right, yeah. And then she names her aunt, who doesn't even go by Hero. She just starts calling her Hero, and Ronnie yeah. decides that that's her name now, um, which is so <laughs> charming. And so I think in her getting this name as an adult, she's not a little kid when people start calling her Hero. It's sort of interesting to watch her try to, to fit into that name and what that means for her. Yeah, I mean, I some part of it is just my, my, my own sort of tenderness towards Filipino nicknames, which are kind of notorious for being wonderfully creative, wacky, and sweet, generous. I mean, loads of the nicknames in my family are like that. And I'm sure when I was a kid, I gave a bunch of people weird nicknames that now they're living with. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that that lack of sentimentality you're talking about, that, I think that's, I mean, that's somehow really important to me, even though I'm, I'm probably the corniest person on the planet. I think those two things uh, live absolutely contiguous with each other in me. The kind of, I, I, I like writing about people who live in a way, uh, who have difficulty with expressing their emotions, who, who have a kind of emotional remove and, and understanding that that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't feel emotions. Or I, I like sort of feeling my way into that kind of headspace, that kind of heart space. I mean, maybe it's just, I, 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 like, I like people who don't put it all out there. But at the same time, I also do like, really love people who do put it all out there, which is why I write a character like Rosalind. And then most, most important, I, mostly, I really like when those two kinds of people meet. <laughs> I think that's, a, that's an encounter that I, I think I, I see again and again repeating that it's a kind of, a, like, whenever I think about couples that I, like, ship or something, I'm almost like it's that type of couple. Yeah. I, I think, too, it seems like circumstantially, you have characters who are able to do it in certain circumstances, but not in others. Like, right. I'm thinking of a section where um, where Paz first appears at the family, the, the fancy mansion of her. I don't know if they were married yet, but the relationship had become significant with Paul. And he's part of this family where he's, it's a very wealthy, famous family and he's a very prestigious surgeon and she's a nurse and they show up and somebody asks her kind of in a pointed way, did your driver bring you? And she just says, well, no, of course not. We could never afford a driver. And I love that about her because in many ways she doesn't say things that she means and it's all implied and you're supposed to sort of know what she means in other situations. But in mm -hmm. that moment, you kind of see her just put it straight out there. And I loved the tension between what mm. characters are willing to say up front and what they weren't and what that said about mm. them. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's so. I think that's just so true of our emotional lives. The the kind of pockets of intimacy that we're able to kind of grapple towards, and then the places where our mask is on and it's hard. And I I, I was talking to someone recently, and I, we were talking about something like masks. And I don't have this kind of dichotomy that I think sometimes gets sort of tossed around, which is that the, you know there's your mask and then there's your real self, and then the, it's a part underneath that's where your real self and real where real intimacy is. And I actually I, I, I think the mask, that, which is to say, the kind of modes that you enter to protect yourself, the modes that you enter. In, in your public or social face, that's just as real as your supposed kind of private, intimate. I think there's there's as much sort of intimacy, reality, the kind of texture of who a person is in in that supposed mask, uh, as in you know what, what we might consider their 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 more internal or more um, private sort of feelings. I think there was a there was some like a I think it was an Alexander Chi essay about it. I think it was about talking about the Queen of the mm. Night, which is a book I loved. What uh, what was it? I'm trying to remember. Of course, I'm going to badly quote it now. I have to apologize. Something like there's two people in your character: the person that they think they are and the person that they are, and it's your responsibility, I think, to write both or to to, to know both. And I that that is something that I've always really stuck to. I, I, I always I always really like thinking about I, the thing I always say is like I always really like writing people who are wrong about themselves. Like mm-hmm. I, so I was just I was like, well, everyone in this book is completely wrong about themselves, right? And so the the kind of who they are, who they think they are, the mask they wear, who they are in private, um, who they are in public, all of those things I think are, are worthy of uh, as much sort of attention and tenderness from the uh, from a writer and from each other than uh, as any other part. I mean, it makes me think of sort of the, uh, the sort of, you know, the trope about is the narrator reliable or unreliable? And it seems like that's one oh, yeah. thing or other, you know, is this a reliable narrator who's telling yeah, yeah, us yeah, trustworthy yeah. stuff? But I think that's a far more subtle and interesting question. You know, how well does this character know themselves? And how self-aware are they and how can you write someone who's unself-aware which i think is a really interesting challenge yeah i mean i i really love writing characters who are unself-aware and then i do like not yanking the rug out from underneath them but there is i i i mean just because i I know it in myself i think anyone i mean if 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 you're lucky enough to reach adulthood you know to, to look back on the person that you thought you were in your early 20s and then to be in your early 30s and be like well <laughs> i just I, I just think even even that is so ripe for thinking about but i mean even that what you said about sort of unreliable narrators i always i used to i remember when i always heard about that i always used to think well the, the thing really that it's not really unreliable or reliable narrators really what you need are reliable readers right because it's 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 readers who are able to sort of parse through what the book is explicitly telling you what the book is implicitly telling you and you know allowing you to see the kind of connections between the two that and the things that make a person the things that make a character so really it's it's i always think it's 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 the it's the the gift and the 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 power of the reader who's who's able to really parse through those things. I think that's true because, you know, I think it's important to remember the role of the reader because, you know, we're, you know, you're sitting there, you're writing the story, you're communicating what you need to say and what you feel is the right thing to say, but they're still going to draw their own conclusions. And depending on who the reader is, they may feel very differently about different characters and have different associations and different life experience that they're bringing to reading the book. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. And even even when you when you reread a book that you loved when you were a kid, like there's books or movies that I loved as a kid, and certain characters that I identified with, and I come back to them now. I'm like, oh, oh no, this other character that I never paid attention to. I love how that changes. I mean, it's true. You 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 can see yourself in certain characters in books, but then you come back later, and then yeah, it's completely different. Although it is really moving when you come back and it's still the same character. I did that recently. I reread because I, I think I was writing something about it for Elle. I reread uh, Jamaica Kincaid's Lucy, which is one of my favorite books of all time, and it just doesn't. I just doesn't ever lose force for me. I just. I was reading it again and I'm like, oh, Lucy. Nice. It's it's so rare to have books like that that just stick with you for life. For sure. Yeah. So. I'm interested, like, how did the cha- the characters change in terms of how you related to them over the course of writing? My God, if you wrote a thousand pages and then, or, you know, <laughs> that many pages and then cut it down to 400, you spent all this time with them. Were there any of them that, that started out feeling one way to you and then ended up feeling completely different at the end? I mean, I think I, I think I was pretty sure of the arcs that all of the characters were going to go, were going to go through. Uh, the, at the beginning or at the outset of writing the book. I mean, you know, I, I think when, when I said I, I, I started writing the book with a fair amount of sort of remove and suspicion towards Hero's character, by the end of writing the book, I'm like, ah, she's all right. <laughs> so I think that sort of changed. I mean, in terms of sort of writerly attitude towards a character, um, in terms of actual sort of whether any sort of character arc surprised me, I mean, I had written an entire chapter from Paul's perspective, actually, for a while. Oh, wow. so Paul had, had taken, and, and there, so there was more about sort of Paul's family and Paul's backstory, and ultimately took that out, I think, for the good of, of the book. But so Paul had originally had a, had a, took up more space in the book in a way that ultimately didn't feel like he needed to, because it, it ultimately felt like he was taking up space that belonged really to, to Pass and to Hero and to Rosalind. And it didn't feel like his perspective really actually brought that much. If, if anything, it felt like it clouded um, some of the book. But uh, so, so Paul ultimately became not a smaller character, but I think the, the, the focus, the, the, there was focus on Paul that ultimately I, I, I realized could be turned down and, and would help the book. So that, that, that's something I think you just sort of realize uh, have, when you write the world where your kind of intensity or where you're, you know, the, where you're the, 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 the light that you're shining on, on certain characters, where it can be kind of toggled, where it can be turned down, where it can be sort of blasted up. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious, a lot of people listening are, you know, writing and working on books. And you referenced earlier that the editors were along early enough to be able to tell you that they were impressed at how kind of ruthless you were being with cutting it. So I'm wondering, at what point in the process did the editorial team get involved? And at what point did you know the book was going to be published? And how did that influence your process to getting towards this point toward, you know, wow, now it's coming out? Uh, I think when I think the, the, the version of the book that was bought was at I think yeah something like 900 950 wow. pages. So I don't think that was the first 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 version of the book. And even as I was writing there were things that I was sort of writing that only I have seen <laughs> thank god. Uh, that's part of uh, that was part of early drafts of the book but the the first sort of in a way official draft of the book or the first draft of the book that was bought um, was already quite long. So at, it, it was at that point that sort of 
editing began. And I mean, both of my editors were really, I mean, really supportive of the book. Um, in, in, I mean, obviously, <laughs> but in the sort of, e- even of its length, I think, I think the, my UK editor was like, if you want, if you wanted to keep it as is, we would publish it this way. I was like, that's not happening because I value my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, it was from that point on that sort of editing, uh, began and it was just a kind of pro, I mean, it, it wasn't actually, it wasn't all, all, all just taking out. There were, there were new chapters I had to write. Originally, Rosalind's chapter was written actually in the third person, not in the second person. And I changed it to the second person to create more of a, to have more of the effect that you're, you're, you're reading voices that are outside of the, the main quote unquote narrative. Um, so that was a stylish, stylistic choice that came later. Um, so, and then there were sort of scenes that had to be sort of rewritten or added in because in order to patch up scenes that had been taken out. So it, it ultimately ended up being a kind of sort of gradual process of sort of finding the shape of the book. That's fascinating because I think you always think of like, you get the book to a certain point And there's some things that happen during the editorial process, but it isn't necessarily like a huge structural shift like that. So I think that's really inspiring in a sense of like, okay, the book is where it's going to be. I'm going to put it out there, but it still can change. I mean, I think that's, it's probably, it's probably because it was a first novel. I think have knowing now, I think at that point, I didn't yet really know that I was the type of writer who wrote the world. I think if back then I was like, well, that's, probably the book it's probably 900 pages and I think it was only gradually when I sort of read through it again I thought no this this doesn't need to be there that I kind of learned myself really I mean I think probably every book teaches you how to write it in the way that as a reader every book teaches you how to read it so every book the the process of it is teaching you uh, how it needs to be edited and I think I learned that along the way. I think with a on another go round, I I might edit more, and then I the the kind of first draft I, or the first sort of version I would I would send out would wouldn't be as long. I mean, I say I say that now. <laughs> but when will I see when you have the second book? I'll be like, how long was it, Elaine? I must know. Three thousand pages. No one's talking to me. Oh my anymore. god! Incredible. It'll be like um, Bolaños. I know like a multi-volume kind of approach could be really amazing. You should bring those books back. I don't know. People like them. People like staying with a story for a long time. I know. I, I like staying with a story for a long time. So then, so you got in there, you were editing. I mean, how long did that process take? Speaking of staying with one for a long time, once you were in sort of the process with the publisher, I know this all feels really far away at this point when it's being published. I think it took about, um if it was i think maybe a year and a half to two years where are we we're 2018 Mm -hmm. i sort of final yeah maybe something like a year and a half to two years was the actual editing process was it i mean i'm also terribly bad with numbers (laughs) but i think i think think that's it yes 2000 i think from around 2016 yeah, from around 2016 or January, early 2016 to, yeah, now finished book. So that was when the bulk of the kind of editing process post um, purchase of the book began. So kind of really cutting down the thousand page draft. I think that's so inspiring to hear that like that. I think I want everyone listening to think about the fact that 
every so frequently I hear people come on and talk about, oh, I wish this had happened more quickly or next time this book is going to happen more quickly. But I have yet to hear anyone say that it actually did happen quickly and that it doesn't have to happen quickly, that, that you can let it take as long as it takes to get the book where you want it to be and that that's okay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, everything that happens, even if it seems like it happens quickly, I mean, just, you know, everyone remembered that there was a 600 page book that I was working on since something like 2008 or whatever. So if anything, it took really that long. So, I mean, if, if, if you think about the, 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 not just the full genesis of actually words that turned into this book, but the full genesis of becoming the kind of writer that would allow you to write this book. I mean, those things, yeah, that, that, that takes, that takes, I mean, it takes a life. It takes, it takes a long time and you need to allow yourself that time to be kind to yourself, to, to allow the book to ha- take the time that it needs in order to become what it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So with that said, I mean, is there a new story brewing or are you just hanging out with this one and enjoying the process where it's coming out and you're going to celebrate it and that's where you are? There is a new story. There is, I mean, I, I, I actually do really want to start working on another novel, which might actually take on or stay with some of the characters in the book. I'm not sure. It's speaking of sort of serial right. novels. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll see. But I mean, it, it's hard to find a kind of, in, in, in order to write, I do need a lot of kind of quiet and time and space and and it's, it's, it's hard to do it at the moment with, with, with hanging out with, with, the, with this book right now. But hopefully I get a, a good chunk of isolation. And, well, not isolation, but a good chunk of time. Just time, really. Yeah, I think it is difficult. That seems to be the thing that is very hard is that you you spend all of this time, especially when it's your first book, and you, you do have this sort of space and nobody's asking for you for things in the same way. And then as soon as the book comes out, oh, well, there are these other responsibilities that come up and that <laughs> kind of diametrically oppose what you're trying to do in writing something else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to be ungrateful about it. It's all really lovely. I mean, being on this podcast is really lovely, all of that. And, you know, at, at any point where you get to talk to other book lovers about books, I mean, pre- preferably I would talk about books that are not my own, but, you know, you make sacrifices, then that's, that's a good day. I mean, you know that. <laughs> but yeah, to find the time to really be able to sit down to stay immersed in the world that you're building. That's that uh, I haven't been able to do that recently. So I've been writing just sort of essays. Even that has been harder. I mean, the jet lag doesn't help. (laughs) No, if you're doing a lot of traveling, that does make it tricky. But I'm hopefully, hopefully in not too long, I'll be able to, to be ignored again and to be quiet I, what is your ideal writing schedule? Like if you had the perfect day, what would that look like for, you know, a really productive, amazing writing day? I mean, I don't know that I have an ideal writing schedule. I, I think when, when I was younger, I used to sort of write at all hours. I mean, I, I was really kind of, I could, I would write all night. And, I, and now I, I, I do, I mean, I, I like having stability and, 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 and rituals in my life. I like being sort of functional throughout my day. So I do, I mostly, when, when I'm in a really kind of intense sort of writing period, then I, I, I will write from sort of pretty much morning to, to evening. And, and then I'll stop like a work day and make my dinner and all and sort of be in the world and be a sort of responsible person, family member, and be present for people. 
again. Um, so f- for the most part, it's, 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 it's w- when I'm in a, in a writing mode, it's a pretty, I think it looks like a pretty conventional work day, except you're in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ideal. It's like, it, that is the dream. Totally. So hopefully you'll be able to get into the next phase before too long and get into your next book. Um, but I think for the next while you'll be out and about promoting the book, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's jet lag to look forward to and all kinds of new adventures. But I always wonder in these situations when you're going to be out and about, do you ever feel like you're sort of looking for characters as you meet huge swaths of the of the public at these kinds of events? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I, I I I don't I don't really yeah I don't really move through the world that way. I don't think I I have I don't know in some ways I have such a such a already fixed or strong sort of conviction or sense of the people that I always already want to write about that I don't I don't I, yeah I don't really I, I think I'm, I'm luckily able still able to move through the world like a civilian I mean yeah I I, I yeah I don't I, I don't think so I mean not to disappoint anyone who wanted to you know meet me and slide into that next novel signing <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just gonna appear on the page you seem really interesting. Do you ever think about no? I mean, I would not. I would never say never, but I, I, I tend. Yeah, I tend not to. It, it 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 often just comes from very weird things. It 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 it'll if a kind of character comes out of someplace random, it's 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 usually when I'm doing something that's completely not related to anything literary. It's like I'm watching a baseball game or something. Those kinds of things. That's usually when you're when you're that third eye kind of opens. Absolutely. When you're just sort of interacting. I think I think the reason that I think of that is that just witnessing people behaving like people out in the world is so fascinating to me. And that being able to write about something, it makes everything material, no matter how irritating or challenging or people in airports completely fascinate me. So I wonder if you're out there watching them as well, or if that's just my weird thing. <laughs> no, I mean, I think airports. So th- those are, those are the, that's the ultimate sort of heightened emotional sort of vector, right? Airports, people leaving each other, people meeting each other. I've been in, a, I've been in those situations probably too many times to count. Yeah. But I think, I think, I think pre jet lag, maybe I would have thought that airports were inspiring, but now I'm just like, just let me, just let me get through without being dragged off the plane. <laughs> Cause it's so exhausting. No, it is. Long trips, long trips really take it out of you. For sure. Well, I think, I hope everybody is excited about reading America is not the heart and all of the amazing characters that you find in there. And it's just been such a delight being able to talk to you and learn more about the process and where the book came from. And I hope everybody's really inspired about the fact that you can start with a big old draft and that is okay and that it can take a while and that you get to follow your process all the way to the end. It is definitely okay. Follow your process. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. No, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, 
visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.